0: Hi, my name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. And why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show so loyal podcast listeners uh, welcome aboard particularly well I'm always excited but particularly excited today um, to introduce uh, a guy called Alex Steele now Alex and I go back a long way I don't know him that well but I love him to bits he's one of those people you immediately like um we run two, what we call two percenters events so occasionally about once a year some, once every 18 months we fill a room full of uh, happy people and we get a few guest speakers and we run, a, we run a day this particular day was at Alton Towers a few years ago some of you will have been there and you'll remember it well and all of our Alton Towers gigs have been really good but this one was like stand out good and it was standout good because of Alex Steele so he comes on now who is he, what does he do, we'll tell you all about that in a second but um, I wasn't sure what to expect, I knew that he's a, he's a very very skilled and expert jazz musician. That's his like number one thing. But I also know that he's a leadership speaker. So he did four things. On that session he did four things. So first of all was that he did a wonderful talk about leadership, which was like worth turning up for just for that. Secondly, he then kind of uh, got some musicians on stage who he'd never met before and performed some jazz and got some audience participation. So people came out from the audience and joined in. So non-musical people got to create music, which was just like, wow. Third thing he did was absolutely steal the bloody show. Uh, so everybody went and went ra- uh, went away raving about him. And the fourth thing he did, and I don't know if you can even remember saying it, he said something. bearing in mind this was about six or seven years ago. I remember it well. He said something like, "If it if it isn't broken, break it." <laughs> I remember that. I I don't I even know what that means, but I don't know what that means. But I think there's something to do with jazz in there somewhere. So uh, uh, let me introduce you, Alex Steele. Um, I want to explore who he is, what he does, why he does what he does and of course what makes him happy. So how are you doing fella?
1: I'm doing very well. I'm a big fan of your podcasts, and so it is a great, great honour to be talking to you.
0: Oh, mate, you see, that's why I like you straight away. The only thing I dislike about you, mate, is that you keep propping up on Twitter in places like Barbados and Tahiti <laughs> and all these places, so I can instantly take a dislike to people who uh, have a more glamorous lifestyle than me. But no, I'm, I'm delighted to have you aboard, mate. So, so tell us a bit about, because are you a jazz musician first or are you a leadership guru first? Uh,
1: that's a good question. I guess I'm a musician first because I grew up in a musical family. And so as a toddler, I was running around the house, banging drums, playing the piano, making a noise. And, um, and I come from a long f- family of, uh, of musicians. Uh, my parents are uh, still gigging in their 80s. And uh, their parents before them were, were gigging. All my cousins are gigging. But I was the kind of weird one because my dad said, listen, it's, it's a hard life being a musician. So if you have any other passions in your life... Uh, pursue them as well, because it makes it more interesting to have a brilliant life. And uh, so, so I went off and did a a degree, a first degree in environmental sciences, because I travelled a lot as a young man, and I was really passionate about the world and how beautiful it is, and about ecology and climate change and social change and so on. So, uh, for for the early part of my career, I was an environmental management consultant and trainer and, and coach, whilst I was playing gigs by night, so I had a double life. Uh, but then, over time, particularly over the last decade, I was particularly interested. I felt very strongly that in jazz, with all the improvisation that we do, specifically, so it's unique to jazz. There was something special happening between the way that the musicians connect each other and communicate and collaborate. And uh, I approached uh, somebody at uh, Ashridge Business School about a decade ago, who I, I knew they ran these leadership programs. And I said, I'd love to do an experiment with one of your uh, clients there. I've got this crazy idea. I think there's something special to explore with with an audience about what they can learn about leadership, uh, behavioral change, organizational change, innovation, uh, from getting a a unique insight into what's happening inside improvisation and jazz. So uh, we did that experiment and everyone went, that was cool, I really like that. And so slowly, more people discover this thing. And over the years, I've changed it and modified it and... uh, So tell me what
0: it is, mate, because I see you do what you do, but most people listen to this.
1: What is it? So uh, the way it it happens is I suggest that people can get a, a new insight into how they work as leaders and as team players and as collaborators or innovators if they can get an insight into how jazz musicians improvise and perform together. And uh, even, like you said a moment ago, uh, even if we don't know each other, which is often the case in a jazz gig, you get four strangers coming together on the stage. Uh, it happened to me last night, actually, in Oxford. Same thing, but just a gig. And
0: uh, Hang on, hang on, things. hang on. What, Do you just meet up with people and just accidentally <laughs> create music? This is bonkers, mate
1: well that no, was booked, I was booked for the gig but uh, its um, I didn't know the other guys and it was really cool because the guy that booked us booked me said no you're a good piano player so come along and just meet these guys and we'll do a gig and I do those at my uh, my sessions as well so um, anyway so what? where was I? So I, I guess um, yeah the thing I do is, is give people, because all the academic stuff is covered by my collaborators in academic institutions about the theorists and stuff, I don't really want to, even though I am I'm also an academic as well as a consultant and a jazz musician and a coach, uh, all together mixed up. I like to mix them all up together in these... It's kind of experiential learning. That's the most theoretical thing I'm going to tell you uh, on this podcast.
0: It's, a, it's, you like it's that? a nice big word. I like that, yeah. But, I mean, you're telling me because even... Because improvisation is making it up as you go along, mate, isn't it? You're making a career out of yeah. teaching people to make it up as you go along.
1: Well, I would say it's, that's not a good definition. I would say <laughs> that jazz is like a language. Okay. So when you witness these four people standing up on stage together, they all speak the same language. So we have the same vocabulary, we have the same grammar, and we're very, uh, very good at speaking this language. Okay. Whatever our instrument is. So you can put, four, you know, I could put you on a stage with three, three other random people. And you could have a conversation around a topic without any preparation, because you know, you can speak the language of of English and you know your stuff. And I guess that's what we're doing in jazz—we know our stuff. But having said that, there's no rehearsal, there's no scripts, and I think this is like life, because in organisations, they, in the past, kind of twentieth century thinking was be, be like an orchestra and you have you know, structure and hierarchy and have a script. You know, every note is there when the orchestra gets to the venue for their gig. Whereas we get to our gig and uh, we have no notes. We there are none. And, and so it's this ability to, to respond in the moment, to be fully present, to, to collaborate with, with others in a very, very special way. This is it's very unique to jazz. And I think uh, if you see, see jazz as a language, then, in, in a sense, it's not that special. Oh yeah, you guys are just having a conversation. But it is special as well because we are co-creating together. Um, somebody said to me, there's a parallel between watching us come together on the stage and how a team comes together for the first time. And when a team comes together for the first time, it has to kind of they have to get to know each other. Then they've got to do a bit of brainstorming, and they've got to design a product. Then they've got to manufacture the product and deliver it to the customer. And that can take months, but we have to do it in like two or three minutes. beginning of the gig so i always actually i always love to start a gig reflecting on, on, on that particular thing but the reason people like it i think is because they look at all these issues and challenges and opportunities they face in their teams and organizations and they're able to um i guess see how we tackle those same challenges and opportunities in the things that face us during a performance of jazz and what I try to do is unpick those particular skills and behaviors that we have as jazz musicians and build a bridge back to them and say, well, listen, I know we're not playing, you're not playing music, but you can actually uh, use those same skills and behaviors in the way that you talk to each other, the way that you treat each other. A lot of it is about how you treat yourself and how you treat the people around you, whether it's your colleagues or your customers. And um, yeah, so in this way... I get them to, first of all, play with the music. And as you said, sometimes they come on the stage and mess about with us. But I want them to feel what it's like to be in this this process of improvisation. Uh, but then I kind of move them away from the music and I ask them to do some more, if I call them kind of conversational experiments, where they they talk about and address issues that face them on a day-to-day basis. But instead, they've got this improvisational toolkit now, which mostly affects the way that we listen. And the way that the way that we the way that we talk, I guess. And um, I don't know if you remember. Uh, probably probably spoke about it all those years ago. But lots of improvisers, particularly stand-up comedians as well, have this idea of um, the, the two, There's two kind of words that we often use when we listen to a new idea that someone proposes, or even if there's a mistake in what happens in the performance or in a conversation. Uh, And so if I said to you now, Andy, I said, if I said, listen, uh, we've really uh, got to continue this conversation. So why don't we jump on a flight tomorrow to the Canary Islands? Now, if you were an, I I know if you were a normal guy, just, you know, you would just be saying you might start the the answer with two words, which would be yes, but, (laughs) okay, yes, but, and uh, yes, but means... Uh, well, that's a stupid idea. I I don't agree at all. In fact, no, let's not do it. And you block it straight away. And most, if you observe conversations in businesses or in organisations or families or whatever, um, people are often blocking ideas really quickly. They judge things too quickly. And uh, the, but the but what do you do instead of that? The two special words. The first one is still yes, but you say yes and. And I often talk about this because this is the way we play music in, in jazz. Uh, but again, so if I said to you, you're not allowed to say yes, but for five minutes. And then I said to you, how about we we fly to the Canaries? So a strategy development session between, you know, the art brilliance and, uh, and me and I jazz thing. You'd have to say yes, and you'd have, you would couldn't block it. And a yes and means I hear what you say. And for now, I'm going to accept what you say. And I'm going to build upon what you say. And I often do this experiment with audiences, and I say, just have a chat to the to the person next to you for five minutes and say something quite radical. Start, I often say, why don't you start with the, with the phrase, wouldn't it be great if, but you're not allowed to say yes, but then in response in the conversation for five minutes. And people go like, whoa. So, but I, I demonstrate it through the music first, so they see how do we cope with errors and novelty. And, of course, we build and build and build all the time in jazz, as they do in stand-up comedy, because they accept everything that comes to them. And uh, even if it's a crazy idea, I mean, I do say to the audience, listen, after like five or ten minutes, if it's so crazy, you can say no eventually. But what the key thing is, is don't destroy that idea too, too soon. And you can really practice it, you know, very quickly in a conversation. And people say afterwards, like, I never had that experience before it gave me so much energy. There was so much positivity because nothing was blocked and it kept building and building and building. And I said, that's how we feel when we play jazz. And uh, you can you can feel it in a conversation. Wow, mate! And, uh, do you know what? You know.
0: Most of the podcasts, mate, I normally interject, and I normally have, I normally get a word in edgeways. <laughs> 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 I'm <Love> feeling, <laughs> no, no, don't apologise, mate. I'm I'm just sitting here nodding furiously because how I many? Yeah, we act, We don't mean to be negative, do we? I mean, they ought to be in brill. We make it. We've made our whole living and a career out of getting people to be more positive. But the what I really like about First of all, you, you clearly know your stuff, you're a very clever bloke. And I think that you you seem to be doing what we seem to be doing, which is set out to entertain people first. right? And once you've kind of got them relaxed and a little bit more open minded and a smile on their face, then you can drip feed some stuff that will make them think. But I think I, I see too many keynotes and so many things kind of the same thing, which is like trying to educate people first and get some information into them and people I think you I think you opened I can remember that gig that you did with us we, we just opened everybody up. we were just like going wow and as soon as you've got us in that place then we're much more open to what you're going to tell us and, and I love the simplicity of it I love that and I, I also like the, the many analogies and the or metaphors whatever I'm not sure what the difference is but I think it's much bigger than work isn't it because life <laughs> life is I don't want to say making it up as you go along because you said that you, you, you kind of corrected that but I, I I think it was Ian Gilbert, I was at a conference, and Ian Gilbert was one of the kind of big uh, big name in the education world. He said something like, in a world of constant change, making it up as you go along is actually a good plan. <laughs> so it's almost not worth doing a five-year plan in a business anymore, is it? Because why would well, you? We don't know what's but, happening next week.
1: That's right. In all the executive education programs, the, 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 the buzzword at the moment is VUCA. I do you can
0: across So educate but me, mate. Educate me. And the listeners, what is VUCA?
1: V is a volatile and then it's, um, volatile or oh, forgotten what it is now, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Mm. I think it comes from the military world, but, uh, they like talking about this in organizations. Okay. And so uh, again, you know, this is, this is true. You know, but the, the, we don't know what's happening. Do we, it's not business plans. And, you know, it's nice to think ahead, but the world changes all the time. And so I often put, put across the idea that the, um, the jazz mindset, the improvisational toolkit, is a really good set of skills and behaviours to have to deal with that volatility, that uncertainty, that complexity, that ambiguous um, ambiguity.
0: And it, and it is, I think, in terms of the jazz analogy again, this kind of thinking on your feet, and um, what what you did when you had the uh, musicians on stage—they each took a turn at leading as well, they each because with jazz, it, with the improv stuff, is. You don't have one person who takes control, do you? You just kind of do your thing. But when it's your turn, it's your turn. And I think there's a lovely, there's a lovely analogy there in in high performance teams. Is is the leader is is part of the team, not aloof from it? Does that make sense? I didn't say that very well.
1: Uh, no, that's exactly right. And, and it's also in jazz, as you say, everybody gets the opportunity to, to to become the leader. So you have to be be good at stepping up when when you when you want to, but also. For experts and leaders to actually step back and let go of control is something that is really important that many leaders don't do.
0: Yeah, that's such a big point, such a big point, mate, such a big point. Um, Can you remember saying, if it ain't broke, break it?
1: I do, yes, so thank you for remembering that. So, because, you know, most people say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, you go into organizations, as I do, and I say, oh, that's, that's interesting like, what I can see here. Why, why do you do it that way? And they say, well, I don't know. We, we've just done it that way for the last 25 years. And uh, so, which isn't a very good answer, is it? So, um, I often talk about the the, the beauty of, of breaking things. So, even if it's not broken, what would happen if you, if you broke it and rebuilt it? It's like being a kid again. And, and I also talk, actually, about this idea of beginner's mind where there's this phrase that if in the mind of of an expert there are few possibilities but in the mind of the beginner there are many oh wow and it's and it's this idea and it's something again we practice in jazz we try to approach the way we play our instruments as if it's the first time something beautiful about it but there's endless possibilities and it's really about curiosity and i think it kind of links to this idea of breaking breaking things because we find that um well, we we have to break things. I mean, if if we hadn't been bro- breaking things as a civilization, it would still be like medieval times, wouldn't it? So there are things we can break today that people will be reluctant to, to change, but will actually f- push us forward to some new way of, of living and, and thinking. So I think we have to break things. I love it, mate. We'll but pee- it,
0: that, but well, that well, I again alludes to. Um, it's, it feels a lot safer to not break things, doesn't it? And and maybe this is where we've been going wrong, which is essentially what you're saying is the opposite of conventional wisdom, which is why I love it, again. But um,
1: well, it links also to this idea of um, of unlearning. I don't know if I made that up, but uh, we kind of get into into habits in life, and we many of yeah. us live in autopilots, and we do things the same way day after day after yeah. day. And so you've really got to... to to look at how you do things objectively and stand back from yourself and then there might be things you need to unlearn so uh, from a musical perspective musicians sometimes fall in that trap and you listen to them playing and they're playing the same kind of licks it's like saying the same phrases the same vocabulary and uh, there was an interesting story of um, the great saxophonist sonny rollins and uh, hopefully many of your listeners will go wow yeah sonny rollins what a cool guy and he's a guy who's still alive. He's in his late 80s now. But back in the 1950s, I think he was in his 20s then or something. And then he was kind of at the height of his career then playing on stage with Miles Davis and uh, he uh, and, and many others. And uh, uh, he, he listened to, to his recordings, the recordings of himself. And he said, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm just playing the same old stuff. It's Even though like, I'm world famous and everyone knows me, I don't like what I'm doing anymore. And he thought to himself, it's like breaking things or beginner's mind. He wanted to to unlearn. So everyone said, where's he gone in 1959? He disappeared. And... Uh, uh, it's what happened was, he went away, uh, he lived in Manhattan, and every day he went and stood under the Williamsburg Bridge with his saxophone. And he liked it there, because it was quiet, and there was a nice acoustic, and he'd go, like, whatever we play, I'm not very good at saxophone. And uh, he'd play a little bit, and then put his saxophone down, and pick it up, and if he plays like in autopilot, he'd put it down again, pick it up, put it down. And he didn't do this every day. Uh, for just a few days, or a few weeks, or a few months, he did it every day for three years. Mm-hmm. It took him three years to unlearn how to play the saxophone and then relearn. And in 1962, he came back and recorded an album called *The Bridge*, named after the the bridge that he stood under for three years. And everyone listened to this album and said, "Wow, this what a cool guy! Who is this musician? I've never heard this before. This is cool." And then they, re- they un- then they realised the story of that it was Sonny Rollins who kind of unlearned everything he'd ever learned and then came back. And I think it's a lovely story because, I mean, I'm not sure we can all have the luxury of taking a three-year sabbatical to do this. But uh, even in just going for a walk and reflecting on who we are and the way we do things, you know. So this is the spirit of, if it ain't broke, break it, that's breaking yourself and it's this concept of beginner's mind as well Mate, letting that, go with your expertise you know
0: that is a wonderfully well not only a wonderful story but uh, uh, wonderfully told as well and i think this unlearning thing links in once again with what we talk about here I unlearn is i i think in the previous podcast we did a new year's podcast we talked about how it's easy to learn new stuff so you can go on a course and you can learn new ways of behaving, new ways of time management, new ways of whatever. It's really, really hard to let go of old stuff. So this mm-hmm. unlearning is, I think, about ten times harder than learning. And like I say, it took him three years to unlearn how to play jazz. It's just a wonderful way of putting it. <laughs> and I think you know, if you go through, as you go through life, you you accidentally accumulate lots and lots of layers and layers and layers. You you go on courses, you read books, you, you become a you you stop becoming. If you peel back all those layers, I think what's inside us really, at our core, is a childlike curiosity. Curiosity and this, and this. Um, uh, well, no, that's it. It's cur- we're all kids, really, but we 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 forget, don't we? And I think it, I, I, part of the art. What I'm trying to say, really badly, is part of the art of being brilliant is is the same kind of thing. Is we're trying to unlearn. People get out of bed at the same time every day. They go in, if you've got a family, you've got a slot in the bathroom, there's an order in which you do that and then and then you've got a breakfast table and you've got a seat at that breakfast table and, and, and it, so it's not randomly allocated and you've got the same cereal with the same skimmed or semi-skimmed and your black or white tea or coffee, what you would normally have. Mm-hmm. You get in the same car, put the same music on, driving into the same car park, Probably trying to bags you the same car parking space you had yesterday, and you've got a seat in the lounge when you get home of an evening. And, and 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 that, I think you and I, we're not really saying that's bad, but we need to shake it up. And I think that's what the improv stuff and the jazz comes from—is—is is daring to, to go with the flow a little bit more and say, do you know what? Is it is it is it really working? i I I did a session the the other week, and I it was a big a big uh, crowd down in London, and I said three hundred people. I said, okay, put your hands up if you're alive. So 300 hands kind of tentatively go up. And I said, keep your hand up if you're really living. Now, that was really interesting, mate, because I tell you what, there's only about three hands out of 300 who actually stayed up in terms of what they realised was, well, my heart's beating and I've got a pulse, but I'm not really living. And and, that's and that's it. You're in the same game as us. It's like, you know, bridging that gap between the routine habitual version of you and the refreshed invigorated improvised version of you which is so much yeah. more refreshing isn't it
1: yeah and I, i've got to say i love i love all of the work that you and your colleagues do uh, i've seen you a few times in action and i think it's fantastic And the books are fantastic uh because it yeah you're right we're, we're saying the same stuff except i have a band there and uh, i guess you don't often have a band there <laughs> so we need to do some more stuff together by we, way, do, way, but, we do mate, we do but... you do inspire me and uh, I, I like like it very much oh, so goodness. just yeah and, and you said before that jazz is kind of like a, a metaphor which many people say but I always say I do this and I'm passionate about it because it's more than a metaphor it's actually a practical um, blueprint for how to, to live your life it's real skills and real behaviours that, that we all need to have, to have brilliant lives uh, and to be more more human. So, yeah, it is a metaphor, but it's much more than that, I good think. Land, good lad,
0: good lad. Okay, fantastic stuff, mate. I love it. Um, so just just very quickly about the challenges you see going around the world working with corporate clients. What are the big issues at the moment that you, if there was one, one or two things they've all got in common, what, what are they battling against?
1: Well, it, it's interesting because no matter how amazing the brand, uh, these companies are full of human beings and human beings are, can be... Um, they can find it difficult to, to, to get on with each other. And so in all companies, I do see the, the same kinds of themes. Um, it happens sometimes, many companies get restructured and that people are forced into positions which are they're not comfortable with. And of course, from what we were saying, that's kind of a good thing because it's shaking them up and it's breaking their habits and autopilots. But then they've got to learn how to get on with each other and it's about trusting other people. It's this idea of, um, again, as leaders, you know, empowering other people, particularly. So let you know, letting go of control and and letting them, letting your colleagues kind of come forward, and people often or often talk about silos in their organisations as well. The way they're they're structured, we sometimes talk about this in jazz as well because we, we are a flat structure, but not hierarchical. I mean, obviously, we're a cortex pretty small, but even in larger jazz bands. And there are lots of companies that are experimenting with new ways to uh, to organise themselves. So I read a book recently called Holacracy, and uh, I read another book recently about Heterarchy. All these words I always mention them quickly, and I'll say, "Look, let's just play some jazz, and you'll feel what it's like." Okay. <laughs> and uh, but it's interesting. So, for example, I worked with the um No, no, not them. With. Um, Oh, we did a company, I'll tell you the name, we'll come back, Gore, thank you, Gore, who make Gore-Tex in Germany, mm. and uh, they're really interesting, they're really jazzed, because uh, you cannot be a leader in that organisation until you've got followers, so you've got to come up with some really cool ideas, and then walk around and talk to people, and say, I've got this really good idea, and mm. people say, I like that, then you get followers, and eventually you can become a leader, and they've got no job titles, it's completely flat structure, And there are other organizations out there that are doing kind of interesting things. But it all comes from, to answer your question, what are the issues? It's about how people get on with each other. And, you know, people don't trust each other and uh, they just need to learn to to love each other more. It's about, you know, the art of being human, you know, (laughs) how do you treat yourself and how do you treat the people around you? And then maybe how do you treat your customers as well? So it's all about those simple simple things. Love it, mate. So,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, bang on. I agree. And I think, I do think that the, sometimes the shaking it up thing and these restructures that seem to be ongoing forever, by the way. it's to, So you're not just expecting one restructure. It's like well, as soon as you've been restructured, you can expect another one. I do think that the byproduct of that is exhaustion. I do think people are just a bit worn out. I don't know if you see it wherever you go, but we just see people who just, they care. They really, really care about stuff. But it's almost like their caring is being uh, extinguished by the relentless pressure of change.
1: Yes, yeah. And,
0: and, and therefore, and, and, uh, keeping yeah. your mojo, keeping your mojo intact, and keeping your own energy and your own freshness and creativity when when the world actually is fairly relentless, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I like you mentioned the word energy there, which we haven't discussed in this conversation. But I love the way you make reference to that in in, in your work, and I do talk about that in my work as well. Because I mean, you know, you can see, you can see it very clearly in the music. I mean, where how you, we energise each other and we energise the audience. Uh, but and I know your stuff about mood hoovers, which is brilliant. And uh, you never see that on a jazz band. Otherwise, the, you know, the band would fall apart yeah. in seconds, and you know, the drum would run off crying and uh, be awful. So um, that ability to energise ourselves, to, to, you know, and to energise those around us is is crucial. Yeah. And, and you're right, you know, people forget how important that is and you see you know this exhaustion around there's such a huge responsibility isn't there for for leaders as well in organisations to be aware of that and you know keep that energy high
0: indeed mate mate you need to get your head around Kim Cameron's work he's an American guy he talks about various forms of energy but there's only one only one form of energy that's renewable in the human being that's what he calls it relational energy so that is basically other people there are those two percenters, as we call them. There's not many in your life, but there'll be two percent of the people you can think of in your life who, when they're in the room, you feel energised. And that, yeah. I would say, is the most powerful thing that a leader will ever be able to do is to create energy in other people. And that starts with you first. So you're never going to be able to create energy in other people if you're the one wandering around mood hoovering. So yeah, it's, it's big. It's big stuff. I mean, the thing is, you you make it fun, and I hope we make it fun as well. But it's really not funny, <laughs> is it? It's really because if you if you get it wrong then then it's painful for everybody. But if you get it right, then it becomes a game changer. It becomes a life-enhancing force, not just for you, but for the people around you. Yeah. Yeah, so, mate, can I get one more, one more thing then? And it's, just, it's something that we, uh, I always ask every, every uh, podcast guest. And that is a nice simple question, I think, although some people struggle with it, is what makes you happy? So essentially, we're all about happiness and positivity here. So Alex Steele, what makes you happy?
1: Well, there was one part of my life I haven't discussed on this podcast, which is we, I also, this is going to answer your question, but it's, uh, I do a lot of work in, in international development, and people might go, do you? Why is that? And it's because I have a background in environmental sciences, but it's also because all of the things we talk about with the jazz are really useful uh, to help uh, communities in developing countries. So every year I'm out uh, involved in different projects, Um, This came originally from my academic involvement, but now I just work directly with charities. But it's about, um, within communities, becoming um, more resilient, taking control of your own circumstances. Um, So often I'm working uh, and living in remote communities in Uganda. I've been in Bangladesh recently, in Colombia, uh, in Kenya. And so... It's, and it's quite hard work uh, but but it's all about this the same set of skills we've been talking about about brilliance and about improvisation and about leadership and entrepreneurship and innovation uh, whether you're talking about a company uh, or, or, a, or a community or a family or a team the same kind of things about what does it mean to be a human being and how can you take control of your own destiny so um, just, to, just so the, the listeners know that that's part of my w- work as well and then what Makes me happy. Um, It's interesting because when I go and live in a remote community, let's say in Uganda, I'll I'll go back again this year. It's it it could be the opposite. It could make you very distressed because you you live with people that have got very limited uh, access to the things we take for granted. So they haven't got electricity. They haven't got running water. They don't have toilets. Uh, I mean, it's quite basic. It's like kind of travelling back to medieval times in Europe, and then here it still is. And but I go there because I'm a positive person, and I, I like to share my perspectives and my knowledge, and my expertise. Um, um, but it isn't kind of that that makes me happy. It's it's being with people that that to, changing their mindsets. So often there there's an aid dependency culture, and when you when you go there, the initial thing is like, oh, you've come with money. And I said, well, not really. I've just come as myself, but I want to talk to you about how you can take control of your own lives because, you know, it's, it's your life. And, and you've, you've got much more know-how than anyone like me because this is your world. And so I help them ask really good questions uh, and then find the answers. I mean, th- that's the thing we didn't talk about, which is also linked to, the, to, to curiosity and beginner's mind. Somebody said to me recently that, you know, like kids today, they've got all the answers they could ever want, you know, just go to Google they don't have any good questions to ask. And I was going, whoa, that's kind of heavy, if that makes any sense. No, anyway, so, so when I'm off in, um, in these remote communities in, in Africa and Asia and so on, it's helping people ask the right questions, and then they can find their own answers, and then there are ways in which they can take control of their own destiny. So what makes me happy? Well, that was the <laughs> question. Um, I love the fact that uh, I can help people in, in situations like that. To take control of their own lives and improve their lives, and it's interesting. um, I mean, also, and also for me though, to be in a situation like that where you're so far removed from what what you know, so it's it it, everything that we take for granted isn't there. And so again, I'm not sure that makes me happy directly. But when I know when I come home, and I don't live in a very big house, and uh, but I come back to my house and I go, wow, I've got a house. Uh, I've got a house, uh, it's got taps, and I I can go to the loo, it's got a toilet, and I don't know, and of course I can breathe the air here and it's not polluted, and it makes me reflect on what's important in life when I come back from trips like that. But I mean, you know, as I say, when you're there, I'm both feeling happy and a little bit distressed sometimes, because it's quite difficult sometimes to, to, to... to understand how difficult it is. Mm. But about happiness, isn't it interesting? Because some of the most happy people I've ever met have been in the villages of Uganda. And I'll sit down with them in the evenings, you know, and because and I'm a musician, so I can kind of be jammed with the locals. And I, I like to, to learn the language and understand the culture and, and taste the food. And they're just so warm and friendly and happy. And they invite you to their, into their mud huts, you know, and uh, you eat together. And you come back again. It's come back, and you and you see what's going on around you in in uh, in, in this world. Yeah, and, and you look and at
0: all the miserable faces, mate, of, of people yeah. who've got everything, haven't they? It's got everything. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not sure if I've answered the question, but but it does make me happy. In those moments, if I'm walking, you know, through a village in in the middle of Uganda, it kind of puts it all in perspective for me. Mate, you've you've hit two um, massive nails
0: on two massive heads there. First of all, you're talking about gratitude, which is a really, really big deal in happiness. But then I think you've touched on something that opens up a whole new podcast with you later on down the line, which is I think even bigger than happiness and that is purpose. And Mm. Essentially, you've articulated the kind of that sense of making a difference. Um, and having this kind of higher sense of purpose which is which is huge absolutely huge mate so i 'm going to leave it there because we 've got we 've gone a little bit over time, but do you know what it 's been really really it 's been so enlightening mate absolutely enlightening i think whether it 's the beginner 's mind or the or the you know the this kind of f- the fact that you 've managed to do what we talk about in our workshops which is find where your strengths are and then carve a career out of them so work doesn't feel like going to work which comes across very loud and then that last bit on purpose and gratitude is just awesome. So um, I think well jazz musician, leadership guru, all round good guy and International rescue. I mean, just add that to the CB, mate. <laughs> Alex, thanks ever so much for uh, spending uh, 35 minutes with us. I know that the listeners are going to get a lot out of this one. All right, cheers. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks.
0: And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcasts.